This morning's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It is page 2 in your pew Bible. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is this child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is, who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard, when they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And and having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by by another road. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Clint. Anybody familiar with the James Taylor song, Go Home by Another Way? This song, yeah, the beautiful song. And it's about that, the last part of the service there, of, of the uh, scripture there, uh, said that they were warned in a dream to go home by another way. And uh, talking about the Magi because of uh, their realization that Herod was not, uh, did not have good intentions towards the baby and perhaps not toward them. They didn't want to lead him to the baby. And uh, I always love that phrase, go home by another way. Sometimes God says, you need another way. You've got to go another way if you're going to, going to make it to home. But uh, just thinking about that. Today is the first Sunday in the new year, obviously. And uh, so I thought I would share with you, I, I'm always interested in how many people understand this. I know uh, when I learned it back in elementary school, I don't know if they teach this in elementary school anymore, but what B.C. and A.D., stand for and I heard somebody this week say AD was after death and uh, and uh, you know which uh, makes an interesting 30 or so year gap in there between BC and AD so uh, anybody know what AD stands for I'm not going to ask you to, uh, AD uh, BC stands for before Christ okay that's simple it's in English interestingly the AD is not in English they gotta mess us up on that one it's in Latin and it's Anno Domini meaning in the year of our Lord or in the year of the Lord's birth, when the Lord was with us. And so uh, the B.C. and A.D. are backed up against each other. No time in between. One, you know, as soon as one ends, the other begins. And so, uh, and, and it's not at year zero. Uh, both the uh, B.C. and A.D. do not have a year zero. It's A.D. 1 and B.C. 1. 
Okay, so uh, think about that for a while and figure that that whole thing out. Uh, we're always uh, uh, we've been talking about does 2020 uh, begin a new decade or does it end a decade and does the new one in, begin at the in, in 2021? I've heard that argument in the past couple of weeks. And uh, but anyways, that's that's the uh, scoop on that. Anno Domini. Okay, now that's all I'm going to tell you on on that subject because we have uh, a really uh, uh, wonderful passage here of Scripture, a lot in a short amount of time. And uh, I wanted to uh, primarily talk about the main characters in this passage, who would be the Magi, the, the wise men, the three kings. We don't know how many there were, but the kings. And, and then uh, Jesus, of course, and Herod, Herod the Great. So I'm going to spend a lot of time on them this morning and just a little bit of time on some other things. One is an observation I have about culturally how we treat Christmas. And I, I think more and more people have separated Christmas from Christ. Uh, you know, we've always heard the saying, uh, keep Christ in Christmas. And Christmas is a compounded word together, meaning Christ Mass. And in a Mass in the Catholic Church, what is the heart of a Catholic Mass? It's the Eucharist. It's the Lord's Table. And I was struck by how many Protestant churches now don't bother with the Eucharist or Holy Communion at a Christmas Eve service. And around Christmas or Christmas Day, nothing happens around the Lord's table. And this to me is kind of that uh, uh, taking away the heart of what Christmas is about, that Christ came into the world to die for the sins of the world. He came to seek and to save the lost. That should be a central message of Christmas. And when we remove the place where we proclaim the death of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, to the world, then something has been disconnected there. Heard about uh, from uh, my daughter out in in San Diego went to a Christmas Eve service in the park. Uh, In San Diego, you can have a Christmas Eve service in the park. I was thinking we could do that next year if y'all would like. Okay, well... uh be out there at midnight uh, with the 25 degree weather. But the, so she, she went with her kids, you know, she's got the three kids and her husband and they go to the, to the service and, and it was advertised as from five to seven and that they had hot chocolate and cookies for the, for the kids. But the hot chocolate and cookies ran out in the first half hour. So, so they stayed for the service, which was a contemporary music and, uh, and some preaching and all. But they had also advertised that you had a chance to win free uh, Disneyland tickets if you came, okay? Uh, which we could, we could try something like that, you know. Uh, but uh, free tickets to Disneyland. And she said it was interesting because they saved that to the very end. So the last thing of the worship service was not Silent Night. They sang Silent Night, and immediately the preacher says, and my wife was kind of refreshing me on details between services here, what he said, but get your phones out and text this number. And then, of course, then the church is going to have your phone information. They'll have you, you know, they've, got, they've captured that from that. And when you text this, then what they're going to do is, out of all, out of all the text calls, somebody's going to win these tickets. So it was kind of a way to do a paperless raffle and all at the end. But she said it was just kind of jarring that there you sing Silent Night and everything and boom, okay, get out those phones. <laughs> Now's your chance, you know, to win the Disneyland tickets, which is what you're all for here anyways. Isn't that a sad testimony 
to where we're at. I understand churches do marketing and things, but but uh, I was I'm always reminded of the scripture when it comes to church marketing, where Jesus said that if you if you hold me up, okay, if I am raised up, I will draw all men unto me. Now a lot of times we interpret that in being raised up on the cross, Jesus drew all men and women unto him. But I'm not sure we're showing much faith in the ability of Christ to draw people to himself if we substitute Disney in for Jesus. And uh, so just something that was a little bit, uh, to me, a little disappointing to hear uh, what we will do um, and uh, how beautiful uh, Christmas Eve can be and how that can kind of take away from it. And by the way, at all three of our services, including the children's service at the community center, we had Holy Communion, and, and I'm thankful that we do that here. And I think some people think that people from the outside might not know what's going on, or might, but everybody I've seen who's ever visited here, they come, uh, they participate, and they seem to understand that this is about Jesus, and that service is about Jesus, and Christmas is about Jesus. So we're going to move on now to the Scripture today uh, and, and deal with uh, the Magi, Herod, and uh, and Jesus. I'm doing this sort of, uh, this isn't a storytelling sermon today because uh, I think information sometimes is important, especially around Jesus, because we sanitize it so often for the children that in the end, passages like this that involve a threatening king, Herod kind of gets left out of everything. So, uh, so we're going to look at the Magi and Herod and Jesus. So you can call them Magi, that is the word that's used in Scripture, not only in Matthew, but in the Old Testament, Daniel 1, Genesis 42 to 43. Remember in the story of Joseph, when he's in Pharaoh's court, and Joseph has these dreams while he's in jail, and they bring him? Uh, uh, Pharaoh had his own Magi there, who also interpreted dreams, but they were unable to interpret these dreams that Pharaoh was having, but Joseph was able to, making Joseph a Magi. Okay, uh, Magi for, uh, is the plural term for from Magnus, and is also the root of the word magician. Okay, which we may not look at as positively, but later on, when people, when the Magi uh, were not as respected as they once were, uh, magician sort of became, or magic became terms of disrespect for them and all too. But at this time. They were held in high, high esteem, and God used these magi. Uh, he, he called them, uh, they were interpreters of omens, they were astrologers, they looked at the stars, they knew, they knew the, the heavenly bodies. Uh, they, in this case, they followed a star dreaming dreams about what they were going to find according to the message of the star. What they saw in the heavenly bodies was a sign of a king being born. And uh, so they, uh, they set off following that, that star. Uh, we can call them wise men, not because they're worldly wisdom, but because they came to worship the one who is the incarnate wisdom of God. All of the people, the, the priests and everyone in, Fer- in Herod's court, we don't have a report that any of them came to worship Jesus. When the wise men came to his court and brought up the point that a king is being born here, or a king has been born here, and, uh, and, and, and then his uh, priests uh, uh, tell Herod, they say, well, the, the prophets say, the prophecy says it's going to be in Bethlehem. So they know the location. It's in Bethlehem. But none of those people, none of those priests go to worship Jesus. They, uh, the, the faith of these people, these wise men to follow, they weren't, 
they weren't of the uh, they weren't people of Israel. They were outsiders, and yet they came based upon uh, what they believed was happening there. They observed the star, they trusted in God for the journey, and then they humbled themselves in worship. And in some, some versions of the scriptures, the word there, it doesn't say that they worshipped him, but the actual uh, word used here by, by Matthew is that they actually worshipped this child as God. Uh, and then you can call them kings. Uh, they come as, uh, as those who would return to Israel, to the king of Israel, the king of kings, Jesus, the treasures that had been stolen from Israel by Babylon, uh, by Assyria, other eastern countries had been going in and taking uh, control of that area for a long time and had stolen away the treasures. And in a way, this is those treasures returning uh, to them. Next, uh, uh, the, the treasures themselves represent, you probably have heard this before, three different things. Gold would be a gift for a king, frankincense and incense uh, a, a gift for a deity in, in temples, you would burn uh, incense, so it would be a sweet fragrance uh, to God. And then myrrh, and then embalming oil, a symbol of death, which seems a very odd thing to bring to a baby. But all those things represent key things about Jesus, his identity, that he was a king, that he was God, and that he was the one who would sacrifice himself for our sins. Go on. Now, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Herod here. There are four different Herods in the Gospels and in Luke, which makes it really confusing. And I'm not going to go through all this with you. I just want to show, this is kind of Herod's family tree here. And um, it shows where different people from his family are mentioned in the scriptures. There's a lot of that. Remember Herodias? She had a daughter. What was the daughter's name? Anybody remember? Salome? Or Salome, uh, she was the one who uh, uh, had uh, 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 who danced for Herod. Okay, uh, but now I got to say, this is a different Herod. It's not Herod the Great. It's Herod Agrippa I, who's married to Herodias, and and it, she has the daughter who dances for him. Makes him very happy. He likes her dancing. What would you like? Herodias hated John the Baptist, and that's how John the Baptist ended up being beheaded, was at that request based upon that dance. So you see everybody here, uh, there is a different Herod at the trial of Jesus than Herod the Great. Uh, Herod the Great is specifically alive when Jesus is born, uh, and you have Herod Antipas, and then you have uh, Herod Agrippa, and also uh, Herod Agrippa II, and uh, he's just in, uh, he's in Acts, the book of Acts, the final chapters. So you have all these Herods. Makes it very, dis- I, would, I would say, I hate to ask people because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I, I would gather that 90-some percent of Christians don't understand the different Herods that are there. They just think it's the same Herod every time Herod is mentioned. But these are different Herods. So we're going to focus on Herod the Great, who's, part, who's, who's in our scripture today. Uh, Herod was a great politician. He was able to uh, influence the Romans to put him into power. There was a uh, fight but it, within his family as to who would be in power. He was able in some ways. He, he, he didn't overtax the people. He did build great building programs. He did things uh, that consolidated the Roman rule. And at the time that Jesus is born, 
actually, Israel isn't as in bad a shape as it has been in the past because of Herod. Herod has done some, some, some good things there. That's about the only good things he's done. Uh, the, the, the buildings he built, he built cities and forts and ports. Uh, uh, Caesarea Maritima, been there, our fam- been to Israel a couple of times. Uh, a port. He made a harbor. If you go along the Mediterranean shores, there's no natural harbors, so he built an artificial harbor so ships could come in. He built fortresses, the Herodias, uh, Masada, which is very famous. Uh, He rebuilt the temple, Uh, beautiful rebuilding of the temple that had been destroyed. But within less than a century, it would be destroyed again by the Romans because of revolts among among the Jews. So he... uh, he did a lot of building. Uh, he was a great progenitor, meaning he, he, he reproduced well. He had 10 wives uh, and 14 children. Uh, not all those wives or children survived his anger, his wrath, because he was, he was a, a paranoid. He was a paranoiac, which is a person who was paranoid. He murdered three of his sons, at least, plus a wife and a mother-in-law, the this wife's mother-in-law. He got angry at both of them. So, and he killed them. Uh, thousands of political enemies he wiped out. He undid the tradition of the uh, Levites where they would uh, serve as the priests in the temple. And he began to choose the priests. Whether or not they were of the bloodline or the, of the tribe of Levi. So uh, he, he, he ex- exercised a lot of control and he was a bit of a control freak because he was so paranoid that everybody was out to get him. And I could go into great depth, a lot of interesting things. How does this relate to today's scripture? The only record we have in history, and from that time period, we don't have a lot of records. Herod is probably the most recorded person in ancient history. Josephus wrote two volumes, two big volumes on him. We have more information on Herod than we do on Julius Caesar or Augustus. But the story of the slaughter of the innocents in Matthew 2, where Herod eventually orders the murder of every male two and under, he, uh, uh, that is something that some people have said, well, something like that to happen, certainly we would see that in some other work. Uh, Josephus certainly might have mentioned it. Well, the fact is that the slaughter of the innocents Probably in Bethlehem, the number of males, two and under, it was a small town, uh, might have been a dozen. So in relation to every other bad thing that Herod ever did, killing a dozen babies is not the worst thing he ever did by far. He did many bad things. So the only place we have the record of that is in Matthew chapter 2. So the message of, that, of, of Matthew uh, through these three people is, or, or three groups and, and persons, King Herod personifies the evil that Jesus came to unmask and destroy. He, he sets up an antithesis of, of who Jesus is. We can see Jesus coming to establish the peaceable kingdom, uh, proclaiming God's love and mercy, but also God's, God is coming to establish righteousness again, where, where people would, uh, would return to the garden before the fall. That was, Jesus was, was here to bring all that back. Uh, King Herod, on the other hand, was building earthly kingdoms. And, and quite often when Jesus would refer to kings in his parables and all, he was using King Herod as his model. That king who represents what we shouldn't be glorifying. Uh, he, uh, he was just a cruel person. 
And uh, so King Herod represents that. The Magi, on the other hand, represent the opportunity for those outside of Israel to receive the grace and the blessing and salvation of God through Jesus Christ. That Jesus had come not only for Israel, but also uh, for all the world. This must have been a little bit hard for people to take when Matthew wrote this. He's writing his gospel primarily primarily to Jewish people. So he includes a lot of prophecies in there that the Jewish people would have known, but maybe the Gentiles wouldn't have. And the fact of the matter is that as the chosen people uh, to, to have right off at the, uh, towards the beginning of the gospel, these three pagans to come from the east and to give them a positive uh, review for coming to worship Jesus Christ uh, was, was a strong message for Matthew to give to them. That this Christ doesn't belong just to you. He belongs to the whole world. And then Jesus is revealed here as the object of sin's wrath. Uh, the sacrificial lamb who is Lord and Savior of all. Immediately we have the sense as we go through and as you go on beyond this. That Jesus Christ is threatened. And that powerful forces have set out to destroy him. And uh, we know that uh, that the life of Jesus Christ very very much is a response to the evil in this world, and his teachings are a response, a reversal of that evil. And so we have these, these three coming through in Matthew. Go on to the next. So why did Jesus come? And this is why what I was talking about earlier when we began about the message of the Christmas season. Is it about Disney tickets or is it about Christ? That Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And yet, usually around Christmas, we don't hear a lot about that, do we? How often do you hear linked in to the, to the message of Christmas? No, instead, we hear all the time you hear people saying, or you get Christmas cards that say it, or commercials that say it, or, or, or movies that say it. Oh, Christmas is about family. Christmas is about old friends. Christmas is about love, but nothing specific about that. Christmas is about peace to everybody. But we don't say Christmas is about Jesus who came to seek and save the lost, to reveal God's true character, to serve as our mediator with God, to fulfill all prophecy, and to send his spirit into the world. Very, it's really hard for the gospel message to break through all the clutter that we have put up around Christmas. Very hard for us to, to break through that. And unfortunately, very often... In, in, in a pastor's sermons or in our Sunday school classes, we don't break through it either. Because who wants to teach their three-year-old or four-year-old kids about the slaughter of the innocents? You see, the Bible's not always G. And very often we think, well, who wants to come to a Christmas Eve service and hear something harsh? Or, 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 or hear the gospel message? What they'd rather hear is, is, is some stories. We'll tell some stories and they'll feel good and they'll leave and that'll be it. That's a great threat. The greatest threat to Christmas isn't that people stop saying Merry Christmas. It's that people start saying uh, that Christ is the heart of Christmas. I think I have one more. Yeah. One more. Yeah. I think that's it. So Herod or Jesus, who is greater? This is a question that comes out of this. Because we've set up, a, we've set up this conflict between the two of them. And I'll put Herod there as the world. Okay, Herod as representing the world's beliefs, the world's methods, the world's power. Which is greater? I went uh, 
uh, kind of did a side by side thing, and you could take all of Herod's buildings, everything that he that he built. The temple that he built was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. Um, great fire, the stones themselves cracked and and and, and exploded with the heat. And uh, it was destroyed down to the foundation. Today on the foundation of the temple, on the temple mount, is a, uh, is a mosque. But that's it. The, the, the gold, uh, golden dome of the, of the rock is there. But that's it. Everything he built is gone. Masada is just a wreck. I, we've been up there. It's, it's, it's really neat to go in there. But it's inhabitable. It wasn't what he created. Herodias and other places, you go and you see the ruins, the ruins of the aqueducts he built. The ru- it's, it's just gone. So he's Herod the Great. But nothing lasted very long for him, and many things didn't last past a, a century after he died. Now we look at Jesus Christ. It is, uh, people have written books on this. It's almost impossible, it is impossible to imagine for us to have any grasp of the influence Jesus had on history. On us being here today, we wouldn't be here today if not for Jesus. We're here because of Jesus. Uh, hospitals, uh, the, uh, the Salvation Army, and many, many organizations. The YMCA, started, a Christian, Young Men's Christian Association. Uh, uh, the poor being fed, missionaries going out, not just to spread the gospel or to start churches, but to also help people with disease, with education. Uh, many of our educational institutions, such as Yale, um, also were started by people of faith. We think about all the hospitals, all the schools, it's impossible to measure everything that Jesus has influenced, right down to the hearts of individual people whose lives were changed for good because of Jesus, because they came to faith in him. Impossible to measure the influence he has had. Herod, we can measure. You know? We can measure, and and almost all of his influence is gone and dead. But Jesus Christ lives on. It's amazing then if we go back and we stand there and we look at the king in his court with all his power and Jesus in that manger with no earthly power, no armies, no guards, no one to defend him. It makes this a dumb question. It makes the stupidest question I've asked in my life. It's obvious. And uh, so uh, when we come today to the communion table, I cannot stress, I'm so glad that, that, that the Methodists have always emphasized the table as a place where we come and we're reoriented. <laughs> we find our way again. Because it's all about Jesus Christ coming to seek and to save us. And he did that by offering himself up in our place as that Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And amen. Just a moment to talk about the covenant prayer uh, for a minute. This is, this is a prayer that essentially at the heart of it says, we belong to God, not the other way around. God doesn't belong to us for our enjoyment or just our individual blessings, but we belong to him. Uh, I read an article the other day and it said this person believed that the number one threat to the church in this century, is the idea that God exists 
to serve us. That uh, he's simply a resource like the supermarket or, or Walmart or any other place who we go to when we need more money, more better clothes, whatever it may be. And that we need to return to the biblical message that we find our life by dying to ourselves and being renewed in life in Christ. It's through Christ who we live and we belong to him. And that's what this prayer is about. Uh, Wesley used this with his, with his Methodist groups, uh, his Methodist societies as they were called. And they would gather around the new year, originally very late at night. They would get together on New Year's Eve, but eventually people were complaining, so he moved it to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was so refreshing when I read that in his, um, in his journals because I said, well, people were the same back then <laughs> as they are today. But, uh, but we do this every year as a way of, of at least once in this year saying to God, everything I have is at your disposal. So let us together. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what you wilt. Rank me with whom you wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine, and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Amen. We're closing just with the uh, with the simple benediction now, as we uh, as we go out into the world to live the words that we just said together. Now go forth in the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and may we truly know the riches that come only through Him. Whether we are poor or rich in this world does not matter. What matters is that what we have comes through Him, because only what comes through God and our Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. Go in his grace, and amen.